thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 130 of the best damn space sim podcast ever and was recorded on Friday, July 29th and made available for download Tuesday, August 2nd over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Jeff. And I'm Ostron. So what do we have this week, Ostron? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we talk about SpaceX, the final frontier. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we cover the latest from around the verse featuring Chris Roberts himself and patch 2.5 for Star Citizen, Infinity Battlescape's Forever patch is finally here, and we check in on Everspace's progress as they begin their backer beta. Next, we debate in-game voice chat, and finally we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. Before we commence with the show, I need to uh, let you all know the little Minor little personnel modification here, the old Guard Frequency HQ. Uh, as longtime listeners of the show will recall, we used to have a British guy on here, um, Lemon, Leonard, something like that. Anyway, well, he finally quit after an atrocious attendance record. I mean, 80% of life is just showing up, right? And as El Puba Grande of this magnificent broadcast legend, revered throughout the massive space sim podcasting universe, I expected, nay, demanded better for our audience. All eight or nine of you deserve better. goes without saying that if I'm going to require such dedication to high standards from those around me, I must deliver no less. Unfortunately, over the coming months, I will likely fall far short of such expectations. And so, lest the wayward and truant limey in the audio booth extract his revenge for my hypocrisy by mangling my every utterance into praise for dictators, malcontents, and spoiled cheeses, I must sadly relinquish my broadcast chair for the time being. Like my other former co-host, I won't be going far. I will return to the chair as my schedule permits, and I will still be generally supervising the weekly production of the show. In all seriousness, I'm running for a seat in the Kansas State Senate. Uh, My home state's in pretty serious trouble from multiple angles, and the kind of folks who put us here would have coasted to victory in November. Uh, Coasted as in there was literally no one to stop them. I hope if you guys and gals out there got to know me at all over the last couple of years, you know that if I see something going wrong, I'm going to speak up. Well, it turns out that speaking up to a web page on your phone or shouting at your car radio just isn't all that effective. And believe it or not, uh, I've discovered it turns out that incumbent legislators who get money from big companies, special interests, and political action committees, they don't listen to Space Sim podcasts. Go figure. As I saw it, my only option was to apply for that job. So... I'm hitting the campaign trail. Do me a solid. Check out my website, like me on Facebook, and follow me on Twitter. It's easy. Hunter for Kansas. All spelled out. I know very few of you can actually vote for me, but the followers and the likes help. Someone out there in your circle will know someone who knows someone. Give me a little signal boost, folks, because as you all know, if no one's listening out there, the deep black can get pretty lonely. (laughs) My nefarious plans are working. And that takes care of the housekeeping. <laughs> so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Hey, you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. 
Well, this week it's all about that space, about that space, no intra-atmospheric flight. I, I got nothing. Uh, actually, it's all about that SpaceX. First up, SpaceX test-fired a recovered Falcon booster down in Texas last week. Uh, the main engines fired for a full 2 minutes and 30 seconds, or long enough to put something in orbit in the metric system. This booster was launched and recovered last May after putting a communications satellite in geostationary orbit. That wasn't the first rocket to be covered, no. According to Elon Musk, that particular rocket... That belongs in a museum! And it wasn't the first one to land on a barge either. That one will be the first one to actually launch back into space after all the tests have been run on this one. The expendable one. Next up, it seems that NASA sure likes the cut of that SpaceX jib. So much so that they've gone ahead and ordered a second Dragon Crew transfer module from them. Now, it may seem a bit premature to order another one, but seeing if the first one even works. Uh, but because Boeing is building two and SpaceX is only building one and nobody wants to be short a spaceship when it's your turn to carpool, that's embarrassing. So they just went ahead and made things, you know, even. NASA engineers are excited for the new capsules as the four passenger configurations will allow an expansion of the ISS's crew complement to seven. With the pair of currently docked three-passenger Soyuz capsules, only six seats will be available if anything were to go wrong in orbit. And if you have to evacuate a space station, that is one game of musical chairs you don't want to lose. So, interesting little tidbit from one of those articles. <clears throat> I quote, At least one crew member from NASA and one from Roscosmos is required to operate the station's U.S. and Russian systems. So... Is like you have is like what happens if you don't have a, an American and a Russian on there at the same time? I guess you call Trump. Well, <laughs> and, <clears throat> uh, but no, I, I just found it interesting that that somehow I guess I don't even know what it is, but apparently it's designed so that you have to have a Russian and American on board. It's not like you can sort of like you guys can go just have, go ahead and leave if you're done. You know, one of you can walk out. We'll just we'll take care of it. We got it up here. Well, no, it's sort of designed and, that you have to and, cooperate. And what was the uh, the reason for that uh, uh, setup again? They got into it in the article a little bit because of the crew transfer thing. Right now we rely entirely on Russia to get people on and off the station. And it's their Soyuz capsules that are docked there. So once we get these Boeing and SpaceX modules up and running, there'll be seven seats docked at, at once. So if there's an emergency, four people could jump off on the on the one and three people could jump off on the other. And they were saying, well, but there's always going to be at least one American on a Soyuz and always at least one Russian on the SpaceX because of this particular setup, which I had no idea. I've never heard of this before. Yeah, this is uh, new, too. I thought it was interesting. So even w once we get back up to speed as far as you know, being able to pull our own weight as far as crew transfers go, it won't be like the Americans take the American shuttle and the Russians take the Russian shuttle. No, no, no. There will always be an American on a Soyuz and there will always be a Russian on a uh, SpaceX. I wonder how that works mechanically like is it you literally can't do anything without buy-in from both sides or is it like Again, basic systems have, are still yeah i don't know this is the first this is the first and only time i've ever seen this mm -hmm. i mean and i'm, I'm not i'm not going to tell you i know everything there is to know about the space program but i'm i like to think that i try to keep up you know pretty well versed i would think but i've never heard of this thought well, it was interesting i applaud the private spacefaring companies yeah. that are are doing this but uh, but yeah, there's a butt in there. Uh, <laughs> Wait for the butt. Yeah, Wait for it. But I'm also dissatisfied. Uh, as much as I I like the current administration and stuff, I, I'm kind of dissatisfied that NASA didn't get all the necessary funding to maintain a 
delivery system and uh, era shuttle systems that because they do it so well. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it will be good for us to be able to you know literally carry lift our own weight into orbit again, and, um, and hopefully they'll get them into a solid rotation with those four capsules and uh, make you know make it make it routine. Make it you know sending people into orbit should be should be routine. Hell, it's 21st century. I'll give up my flying cars. If we can have people getting into low Earth orbit be routine. Oh, bite your tongue. i got to have a flying car before I, <laughs> before I uh, go on to my next plane of existence. Well, uh, no, that was nice. I like that plane of existence. That was, good. <laughs> that was nice. Have you read, seen, or heard something that you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for July 29, 2016, 117,714,000 of about 202,000, 1.439 million registered accounts of about 26,000, and 1.029 million ships in the UEE fleet of about 1,900. Unfortunately, Mr. Lesnick is still not at 100%, so he wasn't hosting ATV this week. On the upside, Chris Roberts himself was on hand as co-host, which helped offset the lack of a 10 for the chairman as far as news and information goes. Chris just got back from final performance capture shoots for Squadron 42. Apparently, they also got some performance capture content done for the PU, though what part of the persistent universe was not specified. Dave Haddock told Chris that the script for Squadron 42 is now at 1,255 pages if you count mission dialogue and NPC side comments, which means it's now four times the size of the Wing Commander 4 script. In film production terms, for those not familiar, one page of a script usually translates to one minute of on-screen action, so that theoretically means they've got almost 21 hours of performance capture to put in the game at this point. The studio reports spent some time on how atmospheric flight model has been shaping up. They're trying to make the physics work so that the more aerodynamic ships, for example the Gladius, will handle better than the non-aerodynamic hulls, Starfarer. Also, atmospheric density will affect the ship's top speed, so the lower you go, the slower you go. They're not planning on making these ships actually fly with aerodynamics by using wing design and lift and so forth, but drag on the hulls will be a thing. That also means that if a ship is damaged, the performance in atmosphere will be affected because the cross-section of the ship will be less optimal. In 2.5 news, there was one particularly resilient bug that the dev team couldn't crack, and it's been preventing the release of 2.5 to the Evacoti testing team. Chris thought that they might have overcome it as of the ATV recording, and a little while before this recording, he was proven correct. 2.5 was released to the Avocado Takati testers, and Chris suggested that 2.5 might be in the PTU by next week, with a live release to follow shortly thereafter. Well, things are progressing. What did, what exactly are we expecting in 2.5? The big thing for 2.5 is the Reliance going to be flyable. And I believe, well, Grimhex, the pirate place... I think there's supposed to be a proto version of that, like with just the landing deck and the shops. A couple. I, of the I shops. thought Nyx was supposed to be in this one too, but maybe that's 2.6. Well, they they didn't they juggle that around to say that. Yeah, the they're just Grim, gonna, Grim yeah. Hex was Nyx, and they pulled it off of Nyx so that they can throw it in Crusader without having to 
futz with the jumping through actual jump gates to get to a different system mess. Right. Sort of a major mechanic that's going to be necessary for the game. Yeah, but it's not ready yet. Oh, I know. I mean, whether it should be ready is a whole different... Well, a topic we've discussed on many times. Yes. Well, I, the question I have, the question I have, for for my learned and, and, and wise compatriots on this, on this uh, uh, radio journey that we're on, is this worth a full point release? We've got one more landing zone and a new flyable ship. That's a point. Well, there's probably some other stuff in there. We'll have to wait for the full patch notes to see, obviously, but... I imagine there's a, probably a lot of fixes related to persistence. I feel like that's why the news from Star Citizen has been a little scarce of late is because a lot of the work is probably non-glamorous, very deep down stabilization and optimization passes on code that like it doesn't directly affect how things look, it doesn't directly affect any gameplay mechanics, it's just we're cleaning everything up and setting a bunch of groundwork and framework so that when we start dumping in the flashier stuff, it slots in a lot smoother than if we just tried to tack it on. Okay. A cogent and, uh, and, and, and worthy argument, Mr. Ostron. I just, I remain a bit impatient, I suppose would be the proper word, that the, 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 the progress that we are being shown uh, on the, at this point consists of, as you were saying, back-end stuff that's not visible, cleanup and optimization when major systems including jumping from system to system haha systems just aren't aren't they, there's not even a hint of them being available and even going so far as to go tell you what we're just going to go ahead and move this next landing zone back into here and just forget about that it seems to me a shift in priority from it's not the mechanics of the game are taking a back seat to the appearance of adding more stuff to the game that's my concern is that we have this landing zone ready, we just don't have any way in the program to actually allow you to travel to that. So rather than making that occur, we'll just up and move the entire landing zone into this um, environment we already have functional. To me, the way I see it is, uh, they're sacrificing actual progress on core mechanics of the game for the appearance of progress on environments and art and, and, and items. Yeah, which I think is a valid argument. I just think it's a it's a difference of priorities. Because I really feel like at this point if this game were being developed completely behind closed doors well, a lot of things would be different, but just, you know, <laughs> taking taking no. the taking the um, the conceit that the game would have been developed as it has been thus far, but there were no backers actively logging into it on a regular basis. I think, given their druthers, a certain portion of the dev team would be working entirely on upgrades and changes that would be literally invisible. Like, we would go through four or five point patches where there would be no visible or recognizable alteration to how the game played or any assets in the game itself. Because, like, remember with whatever the persistence patch was like that was obviously yeah. based on the way they were talking it a really big deal back at cig but for most of the players it was more of a eh, that's kind of cool but it didn't really generate a massive amount of excitement except for those 
particular program nerds who recognized the implications of them getting that to work. Things have been going at full tilt this past week over at iNove Studios, the creators of the hotly anticipated Infinity Battlescape. First and foremost, the so-called Forever Patch, a.k.a. 0.1.5.0. Public service announcement, this patch includes the fancy new auto-patching launcher, so it's recommended that you uninstall the previous version entirely before installing the new version to avoid conflicts. A full list of the changes can be found in our show notes, but some of the highlights are Geometry for all three cockpits is now done. Space stations have been added in various layouts at seven spots in the solar system. They fixed a bug with the flight auto-assist and strafing, which didn't take target speed into account. They've also introduced atmospheric parameters, which can be set per planet, including the drag coefficient mentioned by Guard Frequency recently. Those are such smart fellows over there. A rewritten spawn system. And finally, docking points on the server. However, it's not all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. As always, there's a few known bugs, so things to look out for are random crashes at exit, the cause not yet identified, the race gates no longer display at all, anywhere. Further, a few users are complaining that they've seen their frame rates drop down to as low as 6 FPS. Not much is known about the bug at the moment, so if you're experiencing it, we encourage you to head over to iNovaForum and submit a bug report including a system spec to help the devs hone in on it and commence bug smashing! Aside from the latest patch, Flavian has started work on the new networking code, whilst the artists continue their work on getting the first set of production-ready assets completed. Yon is getting close to finishing up the interceptor cockpit, Dan is doing the final geometry pass on space station architecture, and Christian has finished up his civilian industrial material experimentation and will be starting on getting the hauler production ready. Looking to the future, Keith also gives us a brief hint of what's to come, saying that the plan is they'll begin iterating heavily on gameplay again come the end of August. First up will be mock-ups of all the weaponry, followed by new game mechanics such as radar and resource management. Well, well I, just, I don't yeah, even know where sure to begin. I sure love to discussion, but about the best I can come up with is more, more symbols on people's names and pronouncing names funny and wrong. Uh, is this a, a CCP offshoot or what? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think they're. I think they're a. Uh, they're an international team. They're, they're little things as staff in five countries, and so I mean, they're they're kind of like us, you know, just random people all over the world working on the same project together. I mean, it's 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 kind of cool. Thanks to the wonders of the internet, is a feasible idea. Yeah, well, I mean, it, 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 it's kind of encouraging. I mean, it's they're they've got an indie game together. They have got a concept. They're fleshing it out. They're almost ready for sort of gameplay iteration. They're having troubles with the back end, but they're sort of ironing them out. I'd like to say it's not unlike what we do every week, except what we do is likely way easier than what they're trying to do. Probably by an order of magnitude or two, yeah. Yeah, or so, yeah. Um, uh, but no, I, I think you know it's encouraging that in, uh, in everyone, well, the, the internet, oh, you're just, you're atomizing, you're not getting involved, and, you know, you're not, just, people aren't real, and, you know, you just, no, you know. People are accomplishing things that would not have been possible 10 years ago. These people would not have been able to collaborate and come up with a cool uh, and interesting uh, you know, piece of art. You know, thousands of people are going to enjoy. world's a better place for it. Thanks, Internet. Frame rates at 6 FPS is a serious bug, though. That's just something eating up code that shouldn't be. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a loop or something in there that someone's going to go, Oops, I had an extra semicolon in there. Click, and then... But finding that semicolon... Oh, I'll tell you a joke. Can I tell you a joke? Oh, do tell. So this engineer spent a long time with the company, and 
and uh, knew the, the the machine that he had uh, sort of designed and built and modified over the years inside and out. They had a big re- party for his retirement, and they said, hey, you know, if we ever have any trouble, can we call you back as a consultant? He said, oh, of course, absolutely, my pleasure. So, you know, a couple months goes by after he retires, and sure enough, the machine breaks, and the young kid he kind of left in charge just tore his hair out trying to figure out what it was, couldn't find the problems. They called the old guy back in as a consultant. He banged around on a little bit, looked under some lids, looked behind some doors, you know, tweaked a couple of things. Finally, he walked over uh, to a panel, and he took out a piece of chalk from his uh, pocket, and he marked the panel. And he said, behind that panel, you're going to find a stripped gear. Yank it, replace it. You'll be back in business. The young guy said, oh, thanks so much. Uh, be sure to send a bill to the uh, to the CFO, and, and we'll get you paid as your, your consultant fee. And he said, okay, sure. So uh, the machine starts back up, just as the guy says. Everything's great until the CFO calls the young guy and says, dude, the guy just sent us a $50,000 consulting bill. And the guy goes, what? And he goes, yeah, you got it. we're not paying that. you got to get an itemized list of what he did, or else we can't pay. He's like, fine. So he said, I'm sorry, uh, retired guy. i got to get an itemized list of what you did, or else we're not going to pay your bill. And he said, don't worry about it, son. Be right along. Next day, the little young guy opens up a bill, itemized bill, chalk mark, $1, knowing where to place chalk mark, $49,999. That, that sort of expertise, that sort of, that sort of you know, unique inside knowledge is, is, is the value cannot be measured until the damn CFO asks for an itemized bill. And then you can actually, you, can, you itemize it and you, and, you, and, you, and you bring it down, you bring it in and you can make it real. So thanks, Internet, for making it real for the rest of us. Moving on, the roguelike space sim Everspace has been quiet since their last patch and alpha offering. But they hit a milestone over the weekend. They released their backer beta. People who backed at the appropriate level during Everspace Kickstarter now get to fly and die and fight and die and shop and die in a very, very pretty sectors of space. There was an offer to buy into the beta, but it was only good over the weekend. So, if you're listening to this release, it's already too late. Uh, uh, uh. But Patreon backers of our show, on the other hand, might be hearing this on Sunday. So if you want to get in, you probably have less than 24 hours. See, people, our backers get extra perks, too. Along with the beta, Everspace released a new gameplay trailer with some teasing reveals. There were a few new weapons being shown off, a sector that had some sort of celestial object at its center with a damaging aura that forced the player to hide behind asteroids and debris to avoid damage, some sort of cloaking shield that rendered the player invisible, and a larger ship the player could dock with and shop at. The last is intriguing because up to now it seemed like shopping for upgrades etc could only be done between lives. The more I hear about this, the more I think I got to get into it. Um, I might actually even try to download it. Yeah, uh, I I, uh, I found a. I was just browsing YouTube earlier and, and found a, a YouTube about the ten most graphic intensive games uh, for 2016 or and Everspace was in there and it was like, oh, this is pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's not celestially or astronomically accurate at all. Like, oh, who cares? Yeah, but it's, I mean, <laughs> it is impressive how pretty those things look. Like, it's almost a shame that the gameplay only lets you stay in the sectors for maybe, like, five minutes before it just starts flooding you with enemies that you can't possibly defeat. Because I imagine some people would enjoy just flying around looking at space for who knows how long. Well, it'll make you appreciate those screenshots more, yeah. you know? Like, when you have those pretty screenshots, they're going to be rarer and, and you know, harder won. 
it's funny how like starting with Eve almost that that you know when I was playing Jumpgate it was a fictional universe and a fictional fictional sec sector space and, and you know all that but when Eve started when Eve hit the thing it was all this you know this is our galaxy and and you're traveling from Epsilon Alpha Minor to you know Alpha Centauri Prime and all that and you know it was like how many of us really care how accurate space is <laughs> i mean it's space yeah. right when, when you're jumping in elite from system cq4 alpha you know eu9984 beta it's just like uh okay and you uh, know, but that's where your main base is it's you know come on let's call it nimrod yeah. for lack of a better word okay i mean that's a terrible name for anything but let's just go ahead and call it nimrod i mean Really, save that for the Kerbal Space Program. Yeah, because <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, when I first installed Free Space when I was a teenager, I think, or it was Free Space 2, the thing that got me on the first mission was the fact that the theater of engagement loaded, and you had to turn a good amount before you found black space and stars because they had the, the skybox nebula all covering most of the area which you know not astronomically accurate at all even though they were using theoretically real stars to mark their mm. systems but it was just so much more impressive to have those nebula as the backdrop and this just ratchets it up even more so yeah i think i think it's good gameplay too because it helps you visually orient yeah. right you know if you're, if you're gonna if you're gonna be playing a game you're like okay you gotta head towards the nebula well just make sure the nebula's on your screen and you're, you're doing it right if I got black space in my, my my screen, I'm doing it wrong. Well, remember uh, going to the Badlands for the first time in in Stowe? I mean, that that yeah. was fun. Yeah. Uh, traveling in and out of those clouds and and swirly things and all the other stuff that was going on in there. Yeah, that was. That it, it is a, it is a severe trade off when you're talking about realism versus gameplay slash you know cinematics. I mean, it is it is a definite trade off if you're going to do that. And some games more appropriate to make it more realistic. That's fine, but it, this is a roguelike game. You're going to be respawning a million times. I mean, there's some. We're already suspending our disbelief in a couple of areas. Yeah, and I think so. Okay, as long as it's fun. Yeah, right. As long as yeah. you're having. And fun. I think it's it's good. Like if you're going to take a stance one way or the other, you've got to like commit to it. And Everspace seems to have done that. Like they decided, no, we're not going for realism. Therefore. We're just going to make this as pretty as we possibly can, you know. Take that dial, crank right. it all the way to the like left. that. Yeah. The trailer that I saw, that system with the, it was probably like a neutron star or something in the middle of it. But they yeah, they yeah. peeked out the the visual peeked out from behind the asteroid, and just by the visual cues, you could tell that the thing at the center of that system was not okay. Like. Because it was, <laughs> it was like black and ringed with like this off purple, very hazy aura, and everything in the system was designed to look like it was like frozen mid explosion out from this thing, and the interior edges were just—they looked like they were being eaten away by acid. So when he pulled away from the shadow of the asteroid and started taking damage. Like, there was no question as to why. Like, you didn't know the details right. of what was 
astronomically causing it, but you knew, okay, whatever's in the middle of that system is bad news. Yeah, no, there's a very clear visual cues, and, I, and that's what you can do when you've, I mean, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the words abandon realism, but it's not, I, mean, I don't mean it in a bad way, but when you abandon realism, you can communicate very quickly to the player what's going on. We had this discussion with Shields with Star Citizen before, when it was going to be you know the skin covering layer versus the yeah. bubble. Right, versus you know, the bubble, yeah. right. Yeah, it, it will probably like look cooler and it'll probably like, you know, maybe be more, quote, realistic as to if I'm going to have an electromagnetic field around my ship, it probably is going to extend, not going to extend out 40 feet from it or whatever. But you, you give up sort of an easy visual cue for both the shooter, like, haha, I'm hitting shields and I know where I'm hitting him, as well as the shootee, like, he's hitting my shields, not my hull yet. I better do something before it, you know, pokes through. So, yeah, it, it's a constant trade off, but, uh, you know, it, like, when, you, when you do it, go all the way. Yeah. All in all, I'm looking forward to seeing this game in release and spending my very, 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 very hard-earned money for it. But now it's time for news we didn't use. No Man's Sky's release is again causing angst. The official page now lists the PC release date as August 12th, but many of the digital release platforms such as Steam are still saying the ninth. Administrative confusion or a rift in the space-time continuum? We'll have to ask Q, or we'll have to wait and see. Frontier clarified with the release of 2.1.05 that commodities will still be needed for engineering. The spreadsheet previously linked did not include the commodities because there were no changes made to them. Our research badgers have taken our lab rats aside and admonished them sternly for their oversight. The patch mentioned last week is out for Descent Underground, so have fun dragging little miners around the maps. Um, clarifying note, that's miners with an E, as in the people who spend all of their lives chopping up rocks, not miners with an O. That would be illegal. Priority One Productions, our friendly neighborhood guard frequency publisher, will be in full force at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention next week to celebrate the franchise's 50th anniversary and the highly anticipated return to the small screen. We've got our own panel and everything. And that's so exciting. 50 years. Yay. But it also know, it's, dates me. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, It's not the original space adventure, but it's the one that, that, that got it right and, and stuck True. around. So, uh, yeah, very, very exciting. So have you guys seen you've, you've seen the new trailer for the new show? Oh, very yes. Very recently. Well. Yeah. 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 So, new I, show. I, I am sorely disappointed. Really? Do tell. Uh, Oh, oh! I, I mean, besides the lack of detail on the whole, this okay, thing okay, looks I, like okay. The, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm gonna stop you there just for a second. Now, there's two two things. There's the quality of the CGI modeling. Let's set that aside for just a second. And then there's the design aesthetic of the ship. Let's let's talk about that first. Okay. Let's, it looks like they had a Romulan engineer on the panel. I, I'm serious. This thing is not. I I don't know where this is falling in the timeline. But if I was just starting out, 
this would have been my first design and then every every enterprise afterward would have been the nice sleek and rounded lines and yeah that, this, this would have been this would have been one of the balls of yellow paper crinkled up on the floor in the corner yeah. is what you're saying yeah okay uh, okay I, all right okay all right all right Ostron, your turn i did think it looked a little angular as compared to the traditional starfleet design aesthetic but right. I think there's precedent for it, given how the Franklin looked in the Star Trek Beyond sure. movie that recently debuted. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I still think it would it would benefit from having the sharp corners filed off, but it's not... Like, I got the feeling when I saw it that I'd seen that ship design before. Like, possibly yes. as... You have. You have. Okay, where? It, it was uh, originally designed by um, Ralph McQuarrie when the the first movie was being put forth. It was one of the ship designs. Yeah, when they were when they were doing uh, Star Trek, the motion picture was originally sort of pitched as Star Trek Phase Two. Yeah, it was the, the next. It was the second mission. series, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, Ralph McQuarrie did a series of sketches, and this almost this identical design was sort of the rejected New Enterprise. It did, it do it. He did concept art for it, but it never, it never, you know, went anywhere. That was my joke to Jeff earlier: is that this was one of the little crumbled up pieces of paper on on the floor. It's already been tried, didn't really pass muster, and instead we have the Enterprise refit uh, uh, from the movies rather than this triangle looking thing. You know, I I did want to mention that uh, Franklin in the movie looked exactly like the Enterprise. I mean, it was the uh, one of the Annex design ships that. Uh, Pretty close. It was, it was close, but Pretty, it, did, close. it didn't have the crossbar linking the rear right, cells. Right, right. I don't think it's a complete departure. Like I said, the only thing that bothers me is the sharp edges. But well, I thought it looked. It's very angular. Yeah. It's. I, I, it doesn't flow with the eye, and when I when I see Star Trek, even even STO gets a lot of their. You know, whenever they design ships and stuff, they they get it. Except for one of the escorts, but but that's the difference. <laughs> hey, you know, they can't can't bat a thousand. A lot of the Star Trek online ships were just regular ship designs from the series with extra holes punched in the hull at random places. But well, some of them, but they they do have some original designs yeah. out yeah, there. Yeah, they that, do. Right, that 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 I agree with Jeff. That are that are pretty faithful to kind of the prototypical idealized Starfleet sort of ship. This one, some people say it looks like uh, it's a it's an Enterprise crossed with a Klingon ship. Jeff's saying it's a kind of Enterprise crossed with a Romulan ship. Yeah, I can see that too with the wings, you know, yeah. that sort of spread bird thing going on. It's, I think, Ralph McQuarrie. Um, hey, Star Destroyer, hello. 1977 Star Wars-ish, you know, kind of times right there. I, I, I see those things. I, I see it more of a dilution of the Starfleet brand, if you will, you know. Uh, than anything else. Here's my position. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because I just remember that when the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie came out, it bothered me that all of the interior bridge controls, when they first showed the bridge, were like stark white and curved. And basically right. the bridge looked like it had been designed by Apple computers. And right. They actually addressed that in off-screen commentary, and they said, you know, the run-in with the ship from the future had influenced their design a lot earlier than it would have otherwise, which is why everything was rounded. So I'm willing to 
you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, sure. hoping that they recognize that the design does depart from the traditional look and feel of a Starfleet ship, and that there's going to be some sort of canonical explanation as to why that happened. Well, here's what I'm afraid of, and, and, and it goes to anything that has a long canon uh, behind it. When, when you compare Star Wars to Star Trek and all the other things, Star Trek has the longest canon of all. And what happens is that because of the generational differences of the way um, Star Trek has been spaced out is that they're going to, this will be the new norm. And the new norm is not what I expect from my Star Trek. And I think a lot of people will feel that way. Even even some of the younger uh, new Star Trekians will feel that way as well as they research and look at older Star Trek stuff. Uh, they're going to go, what the heck, you know? I like the, the movies and stuff for what they are. They're, they're great movies. But I'm always, in the back of my mind, I'm going, this is not the Star Trek universe I'm used to. And it disappoints me every time I see it. And even with the new movie, I've seen the new movie. I went to, uh, on the second night it was out, and it was like, wow, nice movie, but um, not my Star Trek. I think they have a little bit of grace in this case because if I'm right about the time setting, which I think I remember reading that it's it's set between the end of the traditional... There are no guarantees. No, there are no guarantees, but if they target it essentially between Kirk and Picard, there's very little canon information as to what was happening in that time frame. I mean, we know that the Enterprise C was a thing, and... And so was the Enterprise B. Well, yeah, but the Enterprise B showed up right at the end of Kirk's tenure, and we right. don't actually know what it did after it dropped Kirk in the Nexus. So they don't have a lot of canon to run over, sort of. Yeah. I, I think that was one of the things that sort of shot the Enterprise series, is they started running over established canon, like, from day one. And that oh, yeah. killed a it lot was... of fan interest in the series. Season four was the best, I tell you. Season four was awesome. Season four, but and and this is and let me let me drop some let me drop some truth bombs in here. The registry on the uh, on the ship is NCC ten thirty one, which would put it prior to the original series. So the money is my money is on timeline being between Enterprise and the original series. Plus, you've got the wacky, crazy sort of we don't really know what we're doing kind of design of the ship, which I think would be a great canon explanation uh, for why you have the Star Destroyer wings on it. And then uh, finally, this is the kicker, all right? This is, I am going to truly establish my Star Trek nerd cred right here, blue impulse engines. Oh, yeah. Blue impulse engines, kids. Yeah. Only yep. seen in Enterprise, not after that. So I'm, uh, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. This seals the deal, the blue impulse engines. On that note, let's move over just to real quick, and uh, we we beat this topic pretty well to death. Well, but pretty soon, uh, Priority One's going to start suing us for copyright infringement. That's right. For, yeah, exactly. Pretty much. But but the CGI on the thing to get to Jeff's earlier point. My understanding is this is sort of like a rough draft. They wanted to have something out for San Diego Comic Con to sort of like get hype building enthusiasm going. They had desi- they had decided on this sort of the configuration of the ship, and just wanted to get something out so that people visually would have time to soak in it for a while uh, and get used to the idea of a ship looking like this. That's my that understanding. That makes sense because the saucer section did look a lot more polished than the rest of the ship visually. 
It's like they could spend some more time shaving and moving stuff around in the bottom and, and more details. I think it's. I think what we saw was a work in progress. I think it'll it'll be more defined uh, later on. But they wanted to give people, you know, the silhouette, to, so people would recognize. Ah, that's the series we are watching is that one. You know, it's not Voyager. It's not Next Generation. It's 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 this one. It's Discovery. Well, you know, moving along here, online communication is an integral part of modern multiplayer gaming. Whether you're coordinating an attack on a difficult opponent or describing in detail exactly how you turned your buddy into a pile of scrap metal with a stray shot, voice communication makes it all happen faster and more personally. Fortunately for the gamers of the verse, there are numerous programs that facilitate such exchanges. TeamSpeak has name recognition, Twitch streamers are flowing towards Discord, the security conscious are grabbing Jitsi, and then there's the old standby Skype sitting in the corner one nundering what all these kids are doing on its lawn. But some game devs consider these programs unnecessary. Many games with integrated online play and friend or team grouping now feature their own built-in voice chat system, which automatically allows you to chat with whomever happens to be in your tactical or social group for the game. It certainly makes things faster and avoids the hassle of trying to give out a server IP and a username and a password to everyone you're grouped with to get them on the same chat. But what other features had to be sacrificed so the game could have this integrated chat system? Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us in-game voice chat systems. Illegal recordings we made show that Ostron's push-to-talk button connects him with four different teams across five games, while Jeff spent more money on his TeamSpeak server than he did on his car. So, Jeff, why are in-game chat systems completely superfluous? Well, Tony, thank you for uh, you know coming to me on this uh, excellent topic that I know much about. See, in-game chat systems don't allow you to create friendships. All they do is allow you to communicate via voice things that you'd rather you know type out on text it's a great saving device however you don't know who you're talking to some people don't know their setups and you constantly have an open mic or buzz sounds until you turn it off and then you what good is that game uh in-game chat system to begin with and our uh, team speak servers allow us to build friendships convey ideas chat uh, you know, on different games where we're not we're not playing. You are way over time. You are you are way, way, <laughs> There's so way, much I could talk way, about on this top Way topic. over time. Ostron, your reply. So the problem is exactly what you stated in your argument as to a four. It's the setup that's the problem. Not everybody has access to a person who's able to host a TeamSpeak server on their machine, either because their machine isn't powerful enough but they don't have enough money for two of them. And the setup for a number of these third-party systems is, in some cases, more complicated than just installing a game and having everything there for you already. Jeff, your rebuttal. Actually, you don't need to host a TeamSpeak server. There are plenty of uh, servers and, and game guilds out there that you belong and join to or friends that you know or make friends in game that have such systems. And the setups are rather easy. And I've talked many of people through them, and they can correct your help you correct your settings so you're not over talking or bleeding or um, shouting or have open mics. There's just not enough control in in-game chat systems. Well done, Ostron. The last word is yours, Jeff. I can't believe you of all people are arguing for a system that requires you to reach out to other people across the internet and get assistance. You don't even want to do PvP because of your assertion that everyone is a jerk. If the game already has these things integrated, you don't have to talk to anybody in order to get it working. 
if you're on your own and you don't have regular online relationships, you're not going to have anybody to help you set up these extra programs. You're going to need something. Oh, you're like, done. You're done. Calling time. Calling time. Calling time. Wow. He got heated there. Whew. Whew. I felt the singe for my for my for my chair way over here. So uh, so so uh, what do you, did we get? Did we divide up the the topic well today? I, I know Jeff firmly believes what he said. Lastron, were you speaking from the heart there? I a little bit because, like, I always not so much now, but in previous years, it always sort of frustrated me before the games had integrated chat systems, where I would go online and see various games where people would be saying oh this game is like great fun if you can get on a mic and coordinate with your friends and i'm like okay well i don't have a microphone or somebody with a Teamspeak server or any friends who play who actually play this game so i was always sort of sitting there sol going okay well apparently this game is like twice as fun if i have a third party thing that i can connect with but i don't have anybody to hook up with so, you know, when right. when they integrate the voice system automatically, it's like you can get that extra layer of either tactical coordination or whatever without having to worry about, you know, do I know anybody that's actually playing this game and and or do I want to compromise my system by installing extra software and giving extra user credentials in order to make it happen. Okay. All right. So, so Jeff, did were you a true believer in your in your side of that one? Oh yeah, absolutely. I I think that uh, hosted uh, chat servers where you have communities and and build lifelong friendships. I mean, you've heard me talk about our producer Elliot and I. Um, we've known each other for eighteen something years, and it's all because of our conversations on Teamspeak. Literally, I mean, we build these relationships because. We just like to hang out, and um, I, you don't get that within game chat systems. Uh, yeah. Yes, in the beginning, it might be a little difficult, but as you make friends in these games or, or join guilds and stuff, that, that in-game chat system is too limited to build those uh, relationships on. Well, I mean, I think it kind of boils down to the gameplay experience. If, you're, if it's a, a more persistent uh, environment, like your typical MMO, you probably will gravitate away from the in-game chat systems, which would be, as you know, as we pointed out in the introduction, very, very uh, uh, instanced, very serialized. You know, it's 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 here at one time, and then those connections are broken as soon as the instance uh, disappears or you move on to the next level or whatever. So if it's more of a transient experience, the in-game chat system is probably superior. But if you're looking for a more permanent, persistent, long-term social group, then I think probably the out-of-game chat systems are, are going to be better. What do you guys think about using them as a bridge, right? Uh, everyone is familiar with the uh, with this the, the in-game text uh, spamming that happens. You know, join my fleet, join my guild. We have the best equipment and uh, super bases and you'll get the best gear. Uh, just that spam and the chat roll over and over again. Is is a in-game voice chat system a friendlier or nicer way to find people that you want to invite to your private server? It depends on how it's implemented. Most of the times I've seen it implemented um, is when you join a group and it doesn't become active. So it's not like you go into a, into an area and your voice chat is automatically enabled and you listen to everybody 
you know, around you. But that does bring up an interesting point because we've heard that we've heard rumors that Star Citizen, for example, is going to have an in-game chat system. However, there's no details yet on how they're going to implement it or how it's going to be used. So I'm I, I'm kind of hoping it's more like a radio. You turn to a frequency and you, you know, certainly have guild frequencies and whatnot. And that might be more immersive, but definitely in, I know that in EVE, for example, the winners of those big battles are those that communicate well. Yes, definitely. Having an in-game communication system or one that's immediately accessible to everybody in the game at the same time definitely creates an advantage. Ostron, what do you think? Is it that is having it as a bridge would that work? I think it has it has its merits there. It certainly eases the transition as opposed to like joining a group and getting a join our server message followed by an IP and like login credentials just dropped out of nowhere when you only know these people avatars from the names on the screen. So I I do think it can work as a bridge, you know, starting in one place or going to the other. Well, now you know our thoughts on it. We want to hear yours. So this week's community question, are in-game chats a helpful and convenient addition to the game? Or do you think they're a waste of time and development resources when third-party programs already do it for you? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! Some say he was the word before the bird took over, and that two of him in the bush is the better deal. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Are video developer updates helping engage and interest backers, or are they a frivolous waste since written updates are clearer and more informative? Your answers follow. Sean Newboy wrote in and said, Great show, everyone. I want both types of updates slash notes. Xenolin writes in to say they can both be reviewed before being released to prevent misinterpretations. They can do cuts and edits to both written and video content if there's a problem. While you can't do edits on live streams, in return, you get live commentary and live feedback. Every form of communication has advantages and disadvantages. There's a reason we just didn't get rid of the telegraph when we gained the radio, the phone when we gained Skype, text messages when we gained emails and Twitter. They all have different strengths and weaknesses, and really you should use the one that works for you best be it a single form that does a great job for the general audience or multiple forms of communication to affect a wider scale of audiences. Mr. Adex writes in and says, I don't mind both, but if I had to pick, I always prefer reading. I like a nice list of patch notes to skim through. Well, some on both, but I think overall it's more a lot more economical to write patch notes than to produce lots and lots and lots of video content. And I also think that the off-the-cuff angle Zenowin took is kind of key here. You can give a lot away by your tone or your uh, mannerisms or by a side-eye look when you read a bit of copy. I think you have a lot more capability of reading into things when it's on video versus just a printed word. Like, my take on it was my brother did video editing professionally for a while, and he filmed a number of weddings, and, like, a two- or three-hour wedding that needed to be cut down into a 45 to an hour long video ended up being seven to nine hours of work with video processing software and rendering and all that and i'm just thinking that's easily like a full-time job at a company that is getting a certain number of development resources that 
do you want a full-time video editor or you could have somebody just do copywriting as part of whatever their regular job is. Yeah. So that we don't incur the wrath of Mikey and Lennon, that ratio pretty much holds true for producing a podcast too. The, one of the discussions we have with this is when you count in processing time and editing and leveling and uh, assembling the final show, putting in all the bumpers and all kinds of stuff. I think it's approximately eight to one. Yeah. It's eight man hours uh, of work uh, roughly probably actually it may, it may be more like 12 uh, it might be like a more like a 12 to 1 ratio to get to an hour show put together so it takes a lot of post-processing work to put something together that that looks and sounds professional also side note western union actually has stopped sending telegraphs as of now <laughs> i mean so it, well, it took them a while it, was, though, it wasn't right? the radio i think it was text messaging that finally killed it that finally killed them. Finally, finally got them. Finally, finally put the nail in their coffin. Yeah, the, the, yeah, they were still sending telegrams at least of the 80s or 90s, I thought. Well, no, it was only like a year or two ago that they officially oh, really? stopped sending. I mean, I don't think it was getting wow. a ton of use, but I remember right. a year or two ago there was a headline or like, you know, one of those funny side news stories that popped up on various news agencies where they said, Western Union is officially discontinuing telegraph service as of whatever date it happened to be. So it was within at least the last five years. This is worth a quick Google as we sit here. This is definitely worth a quick Google as we sit, as we sit here. Discontinue telegraph. 2006. Stop. Western Union sends last telegram. There may have been other companies doing it into the, into the 20 teens. All right. So uh, Western, Western Union quit. was a decade ago. Yeah. But, so uh, my question is, is what do they do with all the badgers? The, yeah, the ones that hit the little machines. Where do you yeah, think we got little... our research staff? Oh, <laughs> uh, problem solved. There we go. In general feedback, Rambo says, here you go. In relation to our last week's question from Jeff, where do you find the network code stuff? He goes on to say, well, it's hard to find it when you look in the wrong place, Jeff. Subscriber RTV, a monthly show that subs get to ask devs about one topic. After ATV revamp, it's now called Subscriber Town Hall. Anyway, you got the link to the last stream, which ended with a stream crash. Keep up the good work. Love doing some trucking in ATS before space trucking is on in SC. Okay, well, let me just say, Rambus, I appreciate you sending me the direct link. I am a subscriber. I did uh, check the subscribers, but I only went three episodes back, not the fourth. And that was the fourth episode back I should have looked at. So, thank you. And so, your evaluation, Jeff. Oh, well, I was impressed. I don't want to get too technical or too long in this discussion, but as we were talking about earlier, Tony, being that I work in this industry, there are some things that I probably would approach differently, but that's not to say that they're not approaching it correctly. And what I mean by that is that I'm not aware of all the problems or the deeper details and what they're going through. I know that they're experiencing something new in all this, and I applaud them for their efforts. Brawlin Badger wrote in and says, Personally, I'm more of a keyboard and mouse badger. Not a joystick badger? Come on, man. Thoughtful Wanderer writes in and says, Don't badger the badger unless you want to get badgered. Just saying. Tarka Rocher says, Badger, 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 Joystick, Joystick! And to which Shiv replied, Troll, it's a troll. Sort of disappointed, but also relieved that you didn't sing that. I could have, but I restrained myself. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Slain79 wrote in and said, I see a badger with a joystick, so I know this week's show will be, quote, interesting. 
<laughs> Maybe we should have that to be our, our art every week then. Ken from Chicago writes in and says, Whoa! Let an asteroid wipe out a whole planet's population. Just for the mineral rights? That's cold-blooded, Osteron. Not even Lennon Rich was that cold, and he's from Britain, famed for their stoicism and an empire, and conquered most of the Earth. And then he dropped a uh, Wisconsin Badger, a University of Wisconsin Badger, holding a beaker wearing a lab coat. Nicely done. Technically, that's an Erlenmeyer flask. And finally, Odin Nolan writes in and says, I'm listening to the Patreon live recording and in tears <laughs> laughing with Jeff McComb over the Badger's <laughs> smiley face. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we, we want to make sure that the only reason you're in tears is because you're laughing, not because of the sort of, you know, show. <laughs> and this week's community question. Are in-game chat systems a helpful and convenient addition to the game, or are they a waste of development resources when third-party programs already do it for them? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show's thread at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Was being pulled into our chat channel the best thing ever, or did you mute our username 30 seconds in? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on the show's post over at guardfrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 130 of Guard Frequency. Jeff, Ostron, and Kinshadow will be back with episode 131 on August 5th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. If you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com live. Okay, always was a lie. We actually won't be doing a live show next week, but we will have the Research Badgers find a way to bring it back for the August 10th broadcast. Fear not, however, Patreon backers, there will still be a live recording for you to download for your pledges. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw for some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you in the market for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call signs section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Trollton Edwards, our staff writers, Jace Pentad and Kin Shadow, and of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Squawk 7700.
episode 130 of the best damn space sim podcast ever and was recorded on friday july 29th and made available for download august 2nd uh don't we usually say tuesday there yes we usually do well that's a premature beep beep i guess because i have to actually make it wow anniversary download date too huh windows 10 anniversary download date too 10 anniversary download date yeah windows 10 the your the redstone 2 the Uh, anniversary date for downloading that is on august 2nd jeff only you would celebrate the anniversary of a Windows patch. It's true. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. And so now I'm going to do it again. Beep, beep. This is episode 130 of the best damn Space Sim podcast ever and was recorded on Friday, July 29th and made available for, twos- for, for Tuesday. <laughs> ah, we're going to have a great show because I'm screwing up the intro six ways till Sunday. Here we go. No, Tuesday. Right. Till Tuesday. Thank you. Uh, actually, it's all about that SpaceX. First up, uh, SpaceX fired. Dang it. Sorry. First up, SpaceX. What? What the hell is that? Oh, somebody has a nifty communicator sound. Jeff, anything? No, I was just fascinated to listen to you two. Uh, well, uh, I mean, it's hard not to be. Let's be honest. <laughs> Geometry for all three cockpits. Cockpits. I thought we were going to have a good show. I'm the one screwing it up all the time. Going out with a bang here, Tony. Going out with a, well, a number of thumps and thuds is more like it. Uh, maybe the bang will come at the end. Editing, 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 editing. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to... to, 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 to I don't know if I can do that. Zenelin writes in to say, all forms of communication can be misinterpreted or can be... Hel- misinterpreted. God. At least it was a real word. Yeah, okay. Misinterpreted is a real word? I think that's a George W. Bush type word. Strategery. Well, the I mean, the structure of the word isn't wrong. I just don't know. I'm going to start using it. You're being misinterpreted. Ken from Chicago writes in and says, Whoa! Let an asteroid wipe out all the... Uh, <clears throat> let an asteroid wipe out all the whole... <laughs> There's no all in there. I know. Not in, <laughs> yet identified. Uh, You're infectious. I know. <laughs>